Manuela Bonamo from Columbia University and here sitting with Michael Habend. Hi Michael. Hi. Please good. introduce yourself, uh, where you work and what's your institution and your position. Okay, so my, my name is Michael, Michael Habend and uh, I work at the Bundeswehr Institute of Radiobiology which is located in Munich and uh, I work there as a radiobiologist uh, my background is medicine, radiobiology and epidemiology. Uh, I uh, had the chance to do some epidemiology, uh, epidemiology also at the NCI, the Radiation Epidemiological Branch. And I'm always happy to see these people again at these uh, meetings. And my, um, my actual position at the Institute is uh, Deputy Director. Uh, but even more important, I'm, I'm um, leading a group uh, working in the field of gene expression. Gene expression. So that leads us to uh, leads me to ask you, uh, what's your line of work? What you, you say you coordinate people. So what's the project? Or yeah, actually, I would like to tell you a little bit about the background. Why are we doing gene expression here? Yeah? So uh, we are, context? yeah, the context. I think the context we should start with. It's very, very important. I think uh, uh, Stephen uh, Simon just uh, recently in the, uh, in the meeting uh, made a, a strong statement uh, regarding what happened, what will happen within the next five years or what, what could happen uh, in the next five years related to radiation research. And he said, or he pointed out, well, uh, we might face uh, the opportunity, the, the possibility of a terrorist attack. And uh, this is also uh, uh, something we are very scared about in Europe. Uh, we have some networks uh, dealing with this, uh, but uh, of course uh, we have to be somehow prepared. And uh, this is the context of our work. So. Um, uh, we had the option to do uh, a collaboration with our French um, um, collaboration partners. They are doing animal work. It's very difficult, very hard to do animal work with, uh, with non-human primates in, in Germany. So uh, we got the opportunity to get some blood samples uh, from uh, baboons irradiated uh, in France. And, uh, what kind of irradiation or I mean uh, which kind of uh, um, terroristic scenario are you trying to mimic or study? Actually, the baboons were irradiated with partial body radiation. The equivalent dose was either 2.5 or 5 gray. It was altogether 18 baboons only. And uh, that's the limitation of our study, of course. And all of these baboons were irradiated in different ways regarding the partial body radiation. Can you give me more details? Uh, if, let's say uh, something like 5 gray radiation mm -hmm. exposure of 80% of the body, okay. except uh, shielding of, the, uh, of one arm or something like this. So, so different combinations. It was different combinations and they were very much focusing on partial and total body radiation exposure. And this is also something um, it's an interface in our society, a very strong interface in our society. Radiobiology on the one side and physical dosimetry on the other side. And uh, there is another interface which is really missing in our field of uh, radiobiology and that's uh, the interface to medicine. 
I mean, uh, these, in, uh, these baboons, they got a different radiation exposure. And depending on the radiation exposure, uh, some of them developed a more severe or less severe uh, disease, which is called a hematological acute radiation syndrome. And according to Mitripol, which is a European-driven kind of um, system um, to, um, to, uh, to divide the ARS, hematological acute radiation syndrome, into certain severity degrees. So what like in stages? Yeah, right. So we were interested not as much. Uh, well, we, we did uh, gene expression measurements uh, on these baboons, and we did this very early uh, after radiation exposure during the first two days after radiation exposure. That's uh, if I can interrupt. That's when you are interested in understanding whether somebody has been exposed, right? Because in a in a case of a terroristic attack, you first have to understand whether that person that comes for at the emergency has been irradiated, and if so, what's the dose, right? Exactly. This is because of diagnostic purposes. So uh, just imagine there is a terrorist attack, yeah? Then uh, you cannot hide that some radiation exposure uh, was happening, yeah? So many people a lot of them will go to the hospitals, yeah? And uh, then uh, um, the hospitals need some diagnostics, some early and high throughput diagnostics in order to select those individuals who later, within days or weeks after radiation exposure, will develop the acute, the HARS, a more severe or a mild. So there's two questions to be answered. First, uh, do an early diagnostic as fast as possible and second it should be high throughput and you you have to make two medical decisions hospitalization first part which people have to be hospitalized and which which people not mm -hmm. that's very important uh, avoid wells yeah those individuals who believe to be exposed but who are not the one part are those who got a low exposures mm -hmm. and would never develop an, uh, uh, an HARS. They have to leave the hospitals in order to uh, to have some place, yeah, uh, for uh, for the HARS. Right? Who needs it? And we are talking about intensive care units, yeah. And uh, it's a it's a very difficult uh, thing um, to. Um, to treat these uh, uh, these people, uh, these uh, these victims, these age, developing the HARS, and therefore you have to do a selection, a triage, and for this you need a good diagnostic tool. So and you were saying that your diagnostic tool of choice is genes, gene expression. Right, uh, and that's also a little bit of challenging because with gene expression uh, after radiation exposure, uh, you see some changes in gene expression, Many genes. of course, Many genes. And, and they change over time. Right. So that's, that's the one thing we have to, have to uh, uh, take care of it, yeah? Select those genes which are hopefully consistently up or down regulated over time. And eventually are up uh, regulated or down regulated even depending on the dose yes. that the person has received. Right. That would be but thank you that you're saying this, Manuela, because we are not um, interested in dose anymore. We know the dose 
in certain individuals, they got the same dose, well, 2.5 or 5 gray. Some of these um, baboons irradiated with 2.5 gray, they developed a severe AIH, HARS, but some uh, baboons irradiate with 5 gray equivalent total body radiation did not develop a severe ARS. So the dose helps you in a certain way, but it would be better to predict the effect. Predict the effect, not the dose. Yeah, yeah, that's important. Because I think probably this relates to the fact that people um, when if, if there is an attack, they might be exposed, like you were saying, probably somebody would get the five grade, 80% of the body, right. some other just one side of the body because yeah. there might be a shielding right. guy, building, right. shielding or whatever. Right. Right. So it's so more, you are after more to right. the effects. Right, okay. so actually with these 18 baboons, uh, these partial body radiation exposures, this was, a, this was a good example, so to say, yeah, for the, that what we are scared about, a terrorist attack, and with this, this is probably related not to a homogeneous irradiation. It cannot be, I mean, realistically, right. it won't happen, right? Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit how we came up to our something like 30 candidate genes, yeah? Yes. And, um, um, so um, we did a whole genome screening, taking part of these individuals. Uh, and uh, that's also something I have to say, and I didn't say so far. We also got bi uh, biosamplings, peripheral blood, before irradiation. So this was, so to say, our control. Baseline. Yeah. So this is the unirradiated 18 right. baboon, so to say. And then we had uh, these um, uh, peripheral blood samples from the first and the second day. And then we tried to see an association with the severity of the late occurring HARS. So we took part of them and uh, we did a whole genome screening. Uh, taking advantage of this microarrays. Yeah, you were talking about high throughput right. uh, um, assays. So yeah, but the microarrays, there, yeah. with, with regard to high throughput, they are not so nice. Not so, but yeah, I would like so to, uh, uh, the QRT-PCR is better for high throughput. Uh, we can do 12,000 uh, measurements uh, within two hours uh, with the QRT-PCR. So that's uh, with the microarrays, the hybridization takes a lot of time, it takes something like half a day. You can overcome uh, this, yeah? So this takes a little bit too long, but with QRT-PCR, you're much faster. But let's start with the microarrays. First, we had to find out about the, the candidate genes. Right, so we start with the microarrays. Uh, the microarrays cover the whole genome. Uh, it was 60,000 transcripts. Uh, which were covered by this, uh, by this microarray we used. Then we came up with some uh, candidate genes, and these candidate, candidate genes were then selected, and they were validated uh, with another methodology and on the other samples. Mm -hmm. So it's a strong, uh, it's the, well, yeah, it's the most robust um, um, nah, uh, validation you can think about. You change the methodology, from microarrays hybridization to QRT-PCR using Tatman chemistry, yeah, which is the best on the market, and then uh, you, you try to find, uh, you, you do this uh, on this other sample, so it's an independent validation. 
So we came up with these jeans and uh, just look at the poster. I'm so impressed. I never, I never in my, I'm doing this for, for 20, no, 12 years now. And I never got such a, a clear and robust gene signature. Never. And never afterwards, unfortunately. Yeah? So we continued uh, with this uh, research. So that, that, that was just impressive. So we got uh, something like 30 candidate genes and now we are validating this. But validation is very difficult. You can try to validate it in another spacious another non-human privates. We are working on this, but it's very difficult to find partners. Of yeah? course, and I, I imagine, first of all, because it's a very expensive study. So... Yeah, but also work on non-human primates and um, um, you know, there is ongoing work on these primates and to say, oh, can we get something like 2.5 mil? Mm -hmm. That's very challenging, mm -hmm. yeah? Because people are uh, um, scientists, yeah, they already um, checked for every mill of blood oh, what yeah. to do with it. <laughs> yes, yeah? And then a guy from Germany says, oh, how about 2.5 mil mm -hmm. blood? It's and a then, little bit too much. Yeah, it's a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we so could reduce were, it a little bit, but yeah. it was a little But there is an alternative. Which one? Um, use the human models, patients. They, are, they, are get it treated. they get treated because of, uh, uh, of leukemia. And then they got a total body radiation. They got something like, uh, it's a fractionated radiation therapy. They get something like four gray TBI. And, uh, but don't, aren't you afraid that uh, they are going to have some pre-existing conditions? Very much so. So you how have, do you, you have to are, there are ways yes. to, to take yes. those in you account? Yes, you have to consider this. For instance, WinT3, our hottest candidate, yeah, uh, it's downregulated up to 30-fold uh, mean uh, um, on, on average uh, related to the uh, H0, to the controls. So, yes, it should be, it is downregulated. So, uh, with this leukemia patient, I would, I would expect the same. It should be downregulated, yeah? So, uh, they are already uh, leukopenic, uh, when uh, the controls we get from the patients, let me put it this way, yeah? um, uh, before irradiation, they all already got some treatment and therefore the leukocytes are always all already down. Yeah? So then they get the radiation exposure. So what we expect, it's not a 30-fold uh, um, down uh, regulation of the genes, but, but it should go in the same direction. Right. Yeah, whether it's fivefold, whether it's twofold, I don't care. But it should be the same direction, and this is the way it works. And uh, although the number is not very high so far, but uh, we took six of these candidate genes, and five of them already show the same pattern. And that's wonderful. So we, we are very happy, and we think we have something uh, in, uh, in our hands. Uh, well, we have to continue with this validation, but the first results look very promising. And now uh, we are looking for this other prerequisite uh, of, um, of this kind of diagnostics. It works early after radiation exposure. 
as expected before the drop down of the lymphocytes, the granocytes, and so on, uh, which is regulated on the transcriptional level, we see that happening, yeah, or um, in, in the first days after, after radiation exposure. It's, it starts already there before it drops down. So this concept, it worked, yeah, and now, uh, we have an early uh, a, a, a diagnostic, an early diagnostics uh, tool, yeah, developing, yeah. But then the high throughput is the next part, and within the next year, uh, we'll work uh, on an exercise where we will uh, process 1,000 blood samples, and we want to see whether we can get uh, an estimate of the HARS within the first uh, 24 hours after radiation exposure. So we are trying... Always following these 30 Correct. Uh, genes. Correct. Yeah. And that is that. That is that. I just have another quick question. If you can tell me more about these 30 genes, do they belong to specific pathways? Are they related to each other in a way? Actually, uh, yes, it's related to uh, immunology. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, WinT3, for instance, is, is related to developmental processes. And uh, we were wondering about, uh, about this. I mean, developmental processes and then uh, radiation exposure. Genetical yeah, damage. that was very surprising to us. Yeah, we saw it was, it was uh, in, in, in mice, uh, we, we did a literature search, of course, yeah, because uh, we were wondering uh, whether, uh, what's known about these 30 genes about uh, we've been, uh, we detected. And uh, only six, of these genes were already somehow related to radiation. Yeah, of course, in the genetic banks, yeah, they are characterized. They are uh, um, coding for immunology, um, developmental processes, as I mentioned, but uh, not related to not related to radiation exposure so far. So we were scared that something was wrong. But then our results were so clear. Yeah, so I couldn't believe this. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, that was uh, still, it was very, it was, uh, how shall I say, we didn't feel very comfortable mm -hmm. so to see, oof, uh, this is the genes uh, which are really new to the society, uh, but with the first uh, preliminary results uh, on the validation using human samples, yeah, I feel yeah. much more relaxed, as you can see. I can yeah. see, and, and uh, yeah, so I think I really look, I look <laughs> forward for the next year or two to read more about your uh, research, and, uh, and probably you will tell us about the other 24 genes, and those are like new genes that we as a radiobiologist should If I get another into. chance for an interview, I'll do so. Okay, so see you next time and thank you okay. very much, Michael, for taking the time to talk to us.